Hello and welcome to Cruise Club. We've got the Need the Needs a Podcast. This is episode 23, Vanilla Sky from 2001. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And Mike, I teased the last episode we have two brand new guests to the TomTom Tom Club. First, a brand new guest to all of our podcasts. This is maybe, although I might be missing somebody, I don't know, the first time that we've completed a husband-wife set. We've collected all two <laughs> here on the podcast. I know that Brian, over on High School Summer Party, has interviewed Autumn and Dan, who are married, done that together, but ne- never separately, I don't think. So I think this is kind of the completion, the one and the two. We now have the complete Larson package. Joining us today <laughs> for the first time on any of our podcasts, it's Alyssa Larson. Hello, Alyssa. Hello, Joey. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about, is this one of your favorite movies? It is. Surprisingly, it is one of my favorite movies, even though everybody seems to hate it that I ask about it. But <laughs> it is one of my favorites. I've seen it like a hundred times. Well, I am glad that you're here because I need lots of answers about lots of things and <laughs> we we're going to get into that in a, just a couple minutes. That voice you just heard, if you've been a fan of Cage Club Podcast Network since the beginning, you've heard him on Cage Club. You've heard him on Keanu Club. You've heard him on one great episode of Watch the Throne and three terrible movies <laughs> that were maybe good episodes. We were, Mike, we were recounting mm-hmm. the episodes he was on and it, it's rough. It's almost almost worth it just for the yards to have to go through, <laughs> almost to have to go through the rest but of But he those. was on on the last face that Sean Penn like oh, African yeah. war love story I, he mm. was on sleepwalking which was not good and he was on the Italian job which is better than if you're not paying specifically attention <laughs> to the sexism it's not it's that bad it's only good because now it's tentatively sort of tenuously tagged oh no it's officially fa- canon it's fast and furious it's fast so it's only good because it's part of the Fastiverse now correct I'll, I'll yes, say yes, that's yes. that's the credit i give <laughs> if you are checking off your bingo check boxes that's the resume for the one the only zach design hello zach hello thank you for coming back after we i mean i think like i said when we give a normal person the last face, they're like, cool, never going to talk to you again. But here you are <laughs> back for the first of a whole bunch of episodes in the Tom Tom Club. Oh, yeah. And we're excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Before we talk about Vanilla Sky, um, Alyssa, let's start with you. Do you remember the first Tom Cruise movie you saw? And do you have a favorite? Is it this one or is it something else? Or if it's if it's this, do you have another favorite? Or you and Tom Cruise, question mark. I think Risky Business was the first one I saw, but I Vanilla Sky is my favorite, and then second to that is Interview with a Vampire because I'm yeah. not, but I'm not the biggest fan of his, and okay. that's why when I talk about Vanilla Sky, I'm always like, oh, I hate Tom Cruise, but I love Vanilla Sky, which is probably <laughs> a sentence no one would agree with, be, unless someone really truly loves this movie. Have you have you seen the original version? Because I mean, it's from what I understand, everything Los Ojos, everything but. Tom Cruise, so like that might you might like that even more. I might like that one more, um, but I like him in this movie though. Like I have oh, no okay. problem with it. I feel like he fits the character really well in this movie. Um, I haven't seen the original, but I have read a lot about it and I downloaded it so I can watch it now. I was gonna try and watch it before doing this, but I just did not have time. Everybody who's seen both always says they like the original better than this one. So one thing that I was reading, and I'm sure that you read this too, is that Cameron Crowe, who directed this movie, wrote and directed this movie also, he's returning from Jerry Maguire and from a bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. He's called this one kind of a remix, not a remake, but a remix or a cover Mm -hmm. of the, of Aubrey Los Ojos. So it's kind of like Mm -hmm. putting his own spin on the story, right? And so it's a different kind of thing. It's a similar story, but a new kind of story. And so we will get into all of that in just a couple minutes. Zach, what about you? Do you remember the first Tom Cruise movie you saw? And do you have a favorite or a couple favorites? It's kind of complicated for me. I was definitely like a 
a really obnoxious knob about movies when I was in middle school and high school, and that kind of meant me kind of ignoring action movies and stuff at the time. I think that, I mean, I must, I think I saw the Minority Report. I definitely saw that. And okay. then, well, the first one that really made a big impression, I was like, holy shit, this guy's actually kind of awesome, and I should listen, I should go back into the archive, was uh, all the way in 2008, Tropic Thunder, when I was just, oh, when okay. his, Le- his turn as Lev Grossman had me like, Okay, well, what about this guy? I think from there I went back and watched was it Rain Man, Top Gun, and uh, Mission Impossible, uh, and I w- would actually now consider myself a big fan of his because I think he's an absolute professional and a, just a joy to watch. Just he's just like so clearly enjoying himself and good at what he does and just a, a hard worker. And did you say if you have a favorite one of his, is it Tropic Thunder? Yeah, I'd probably would, would stick with that just because it's just <laughs> such a wonderful movie and he's so fucking funny in it. And I think you're going to be on that episode when we get to that in seven episodes, in 14 weeks, right here on Cruise Club. I'm pretty sure I begged on my hands and knees for that one. Probably, yeah. We got you and we got uh, the foodie films man himself on that one. Edge of Tomorrow, also one of my favorites. Oh, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I had seen this movie, Vanilla Sky, once like a decade ago. We know that Alyssa's seen it a whole bunch of times. Mike, had you seen this one before or is this the first time you saw this? I've seen this once before in its entirety. In theaters when it first came out. Okay. Uh, and I had not seen it all the way through since. I picked up bits and pieces on cable when it was on. And it is always the kind of movie where I was like, oh, I don't want to keep watching. I want to take this one from the top. I want to save this for another day. I've always been meaning to get back to it. But I never had until last night and this morning. And Zach, this was the first time you saw it. Is that right? Right. I cannot believe how little of this movie I had remembered. I remembered him waking up, and I remember the Radiohead song, and I remember him driving in an empty New York City, which is actually real. They shut down Times Square yeah. for a day. I was yeah, just noting that. I was like, bananas. holy crap. And that shot was so inconsequential to the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess one way or the other. It depends how you look at it. But I was the thing that came out in my mind is like that. they did that I Am Legend opening so much better than in I Am Legend with Will Smith like a few years <laughs> later. I was like, this is insane. Well, that is, and I'm going to get into the plot summary as best as I can summarize this movie in a little bit, but that was always, like, that's what sort of stuck with me through the years, was that I was disappointed in the movie, not because I didn't like it, but because that opening is so weird and specific and cool, and I feel like as soon as he sort of transitions back into his real life, what maybe is real life, there's a lot of interpretations of this movie, it's not as cool to me as that opening is. Especially because, I mean, my favorite band is Radiohead, I love Kid A, like, I love that song, everything in this right place, like, I love all of that, and then for him to just be like, all of a sudden, you know, this guy that everybody wants to be, it's like, well... It's not as interesting. Like, I don't know what the movie would have been if he just woke up and everybody was... I guess it's a different movie. But, like, that was just so weird and cool. It was kind of a bummer to me, I think, even back, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, whenever I watched this, that that it didn't sort of continue that. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to me because I kind of kept getting... I mean, this time around, watching it, knowing where it goes and where... You know, the first time going through, I had no idea what was going on whatsoever. And I kind of... I think I liked it more that that first time, not knowing where it was going to take me and knowing where it's going. Like I couldn't shake the feeling that it was all sort of part of the lucid dream because, like, after this like insane opening, the, his life seems so extraordinary as well. Like it, like he's living the dream life. Like Steven Spielberg showing up at his birthday and stuff. Like it's just these little touches that just seem surreal to me. I don't know. I guess I wish it started a little lower and 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 gradually got got more out of control. But for me, this time going around, I couldn't shake the feeling. That like I was already into it, that it had already started, and that it was just like full speed ahead. To me, it seems. I mean, like he's a rich guy, so you have to be rich to afford this therapy in the first place. 
So this couldn't be the story of a middle class or, or poor person. So of course his life is fabulous. So yeah, so let me explain what this movie is if you have not seen it yet. Um, it is available right now if anybody has access to Stars, which I do, but I don't think most people do. Uh, it's available to stream for free on Stars. There's also a director's cut, which has the same... It's a different hmm. ending. It's the same reveal, but it gets there in a slightly different way. But you can get the Blu-ray, there's a DVD, you can stream it for a couple bucks on Amazon, or you can stream it for free on Stars if you have Stars. This movie, and Alyssa, I'm going to ask for your support here in case I get anything wildly wrong, which I am almost certainly going to do. Okay. So this movie is about Tom Cruise, who is kind of the, kind of like Bruce Wayne. Like, he's a handsome dude, he's got a good job as a publisher in, like, a magazine industry, or he's kind of like Citizen Kane, but they call him... Citizen Dildo. Women love him. He's got all these beautiful women on his arms. He's like this adored figure in this town. He is in a sort of on-again kind of sexual relationship with Cameron Diaz. Fine sees him at his birthday party kind of flirting with Penelope Cruz and gets incredibly jealous of that, picks him up in her car, drives off a cliff in somewhere in New York, crashes the car. She is killed. He, his face is horribly disfigured. The movie goes on. Tom Cruise gets a mask made, sort of like, kind of, um, kind of like Michael Myers, sort of like a little Michael Myers mask, kind Mm -hmm. of, where he's wearing that and he's sort of, you know, hiding in a shell because he was this, you know, handsome man that was beloved by the world and now he is embarrassed or he's ashamed of what he looks like now. Time goes on and things sort of start getting weird. He's still kind of in a relationship with Penelope Cruz, but then sometimes she becomes Cameron Diaz and then his face gets healed, like doctors have figured out a way to correct the damaged face, but then sometimes his face is not healed. Things start getting weird and things feel out of place. And eventually what we find out is that he chose to have his life extended, which meant that he basically, he killed himself and had his consciousness, his his brain, his likeness frozen in deep freeze, or maybe his body frozen yeah, in deep freeze. Body. Yeah, I think it's your body. For 150 years. So this movie place, takes place in 2151. Everything, like the whole back half of the movie, back two thirds or back three quarters of the movie didn't really happen. It's all kind of open to interpretation, what's real, what's not. And they basically, he wants to stay in there until they have a way to fix his face and sort of, you know, make him a quote-unquote normal person again. And at the end of the movie, he beckons tech support to come, and he he chooses to wake up by taking a leap of faith off the top of the building that he is imagining in his brain. And then the final line of the movie, I think, is open your eyes, presumably a nurse or a doctor in 2151, bringing him back to consciousness. Which I know that that kind of makes sense and also sounds wildly crazy but Alyssa (laughs) is that roughly for the most part kind of a fair summary of the movie yeah I feel I feel like it is it's also I there's multiple things where it's where when did he actually go into this deep freeze and how much of this is a dream some people say he's in a coma and there's also the murder plot line where he murders Sophia who may be Cameron Diaz or maybe Penelope Cruz again I think it's still you can interpret interpret the set everything after he crashes the car is open for interpretation right and there, I think that there I think I read that there was like that Cameron Crowe on his website had like six different interpretations to the ending like basically yeah. what is real what is fake when does reality stop when does reality yeah. end yeah. part of this is like a whole Jacob's Ladder situation where yeah. none of the brain stuff is real some of it is like the entire movie is a dream like 100% so <laughs> it, I think it's interesting in a regard that whatever you want it to be it can kind of be 
My yeah. problem with this movie, and I, I would I'm I would love to have you sell me on this, is that this is the kind of premise, the kind of idea, the kind of twist that I would love. And I think what's bothering me about it is that this is a Cameron Crowe movie. And it's not like I dislike him, but I don't know that this type of story works in his sort of specific music, pop culture, kind of zeitgeisty wheelhouse. I just, I'm having, my, my brain is having a hard time melding those two worlds together a little bit. So I think I would like to, before we get to our favorite and least favorite moments, Alyssa, I would like you to kind of explain, if you would, what do you love about, like, what what about this movie inspires you to watch it a hundred times or whatever? First of all, I love the soundtrack. I love everything about it. But I think, you know, I like the Cameron Crowe aspect of it where you have, you know, there's also that kind of love story that's in there and the best friend and and that. I like that. I feel like it's almost like two separate stories. You have this science fiction time warp who knows what's going on and then you have this love story between him and Sophia or Cameron Diaz or whoever it's it 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 Uh really is so I think it's the the things together and I love the soundtrack as every Cameron Crowe movie has I mean there's Jeff Buckley they have the monkey's porpoise song at one point there's Bob Dylan there's a lot of pop culture references and I love pop culture so I like his version of the other like it's it's definitely his version of the original movie. You know, there there are certain things where I'm like, okay, this would probably have been better if like Stanley Kubrick did it in the 80s or the 70s or something like that. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mike, what do you think of the movie? Is this a movie that like I I, I saw your rating a letterbox. I think we're in the same ballpark. Is this a movie that you like that you would want to rewatch? Could it have been done better, differently? Because I think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Zach, I know we were just talking before we started recording, but like you and I are kind of like on the fence, things kind of go in a lot of different directions here, so yeah. I kind of want to listen, but Mike, what did, what did you think of this movie? I really like the twist when we get to it, but I just think all that kind of stuff comes a little too late, and I agree that I don't know, I, I like Cameron Crowe's work, but I think he's really good sort of representing nostalgia and the past and what we loved about uh-huh. that, and that. but he's got a tough time with sci-fi here, like when the movie becomes like a science fiction movie, I feel like he loses a little bit of the thriller aspect and all that kind of thing and and on the other hand like there's a lot of movies like this and and they're very difficult types where you're not sure what's a dream when it started and how many times the main character is waking up i mean just what about like inception right like people are still arguing about the end of that movie is he still awake and all that and so i think it's really tough because there's a lot of movies i try to do like this david lynch sort of dream logic stuff and i think that if it was a little more clear cut when that occurred it might have played a lot better for me i think it starts at the beginning beginning there's a tell sort of when it splits and at the movie it tells you when it splits but i mean again i think part of the fun though is that it's up for interpretation if you're into this kind of thing so you would have liked this movie more if there was a blue box and a blue key and somebody puts the blue key in the blue box and it's like, oh we're in a different movie now i mean maybe a blue rose somewhere i think this is also the kind of movie that if i had watched it like if i watched it a couple more times in quick succession if i had remembered what the twist was because there are details sort of sprinkled throughout this entire movie yeah. of the word dream written places and like letters and numbers becoming words and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of details here that you can kind of red pill your way into and sort of open your mind, open your eyes matrix style to see, see the world around you, right. That it's not actually real. You ever tracked the color of the sky in the earlier scenes? Yeah. Is it uh, is it vanilla colored before the crash at any point? I mean, that's the kind of stuff to look for though, for sure. Yeah. Zach, let's start with you. If you had to pick a favorite moment or a favorite scene or a favorite character or a line or whatever 
What is your favorite part of Vanilla Sky? What about this works better than anything else? I mean, yeah, I'll agree with Alyssa that the music is absolutely one of the best things about it. I was, you know, bopping the entire time. I felt very old uh, realizing that all of my music tastes today are pretty much the same as a 2001 movie. <laughs> I, I like kind of simulation stuff. I like Total Recall. You know, I like stuff like that. So I did like that angle. I thought it was kind of an awkward fit with the cryogenics angle. I feel like the two don't fit naturally and there wasn't too much all the lead-in stuff was kind of about how you could freeze and unfreeze and freeze and unfreeze the dog was frozen and he was unfrozen Benny the dog. Uh, and the no mention of like we've developed uh, the ability to mess with your thoughts eternal sunshine you that's why i i kind of said beforehand i'm like this is i, I my initial ending feeling was that that was pretty good but the more i think about it the kind of less i'm convinced and anyone could easily convince me it's garbage i'm also down to like i want to hear you guys convince me it's amazing too Alyssa, what about you what is your i mean this is a movie that you adore and i i i i I worry this is going to be too difficult of a question sort of a sophie's choice but is there something about this aside from the soundtrack that we've already we've already praised there's something about this that you love that you think works really well your favorite part your favorite moment in yeah i mean i know the the car crash scene is one thing but I think Cameron Diaz does a great job just being batshit crazy because I feel like everybody has met a girl that is that crazy and would say those things and maybe not drive the car off the bridge, but they would go that far. Um, I also love how early early 2000s a lot of the stuff is, like the snowboarding His hat. and the club. The, yeah, the bucket hat. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brian's bejeweled t-shirt blazer combo that he wears. Um, Just Jason Lee in general, I feel like. <laughs> Yeah, like so the hair, everything. And then also, I love the club scene where he's getting drunk and he's just giving great one-liners like fuck my arm and yelling Patron with his his slurred speech and everything. I think that was that was really good. And I think that was comical in a way like you do feel bad for him, but it was funny. Um, And there are things I don't like about the movie as well. But if we're just focusing on things that we like i like most of the movie but there are a handful of things i don't like can i piggyback on jason lee i found him weirdly attractive (laughs) it kind of looked like he was just accidentally on trend for 2019 almost like he was (laughs) yeah he would would have been cast as the lead if this movie had been made this year like i almost buy kind of them trying to cast him as the less fashionable person they accidentally made him fashionable for 2019 yeah, depending on when you watch the movie one or the other is more fashionable i'm gonna say my favorite part is like what i mentioned before just the opening like it's so weird and surreal and the voice you hear and it's not it sounds like penelope cruz but i don't think it is penelope cruz or it's not her at the end it might be her at the beginning i'm not sure i think at the beginning it's it's her and then cameron diaz it's, okay it's both gotcha but it's like the alarm clock saying open your eyes open your eyes then him waking up and then him, you know, driving down the street alone, and then the nightmare of him then actually waking up and not knowing where he is. And I just love how disorienting all of that is. And I think, you know, Mike, we're in a in a stretch of Cruise Club here where Cruise is talking about like I was talking about this movie with a couple of friends today before after I watched it before we started recording this, and they were saying that this is in the, we're talking about how this is in the era where Tom Cruise is doing difficult movies, right? Where it's like eyes wide shut and it's you know, Magnolia, and it's all these different movies where it's it's not what we've come to expect or come to know from Tom Cruise. And I think the same way that Eyes Wide Shut opens with this, like, really kind of masterful, you know, look at their lives, I think here you get that same kind of thing where it's like, oh, this is a very memorable opening. We know who he is. In, in my opinion, it doesn't sort of 
keep that height, mm. but I, I do like that it's, it's as effective as it is in establishing the character and the tone and sort of the lifestyle that we're going to be following. I hear that. I like that. And I also got a eyes wide shut vibe, but much later on, um, I feel like it goes into conspiracy mode, you know, especially when everyone stares at him at the bar. Oh, yeah. He's trying to control the lucid dream and everything. But I, I really do like that opening shot and it's, I feel it is supposed to be like extremely symbolic of, you know, like, because that's what I feel like this is when he is starting his lucid dream. But then he goes into his life as it is normally until he overdoses and he gets like the mind wipe and it splits at a certain point. So, I mean, for me, you know, I, I don't know. I, I liked it too. I thought, I thought it was a very sort of jarring way to open a movie because like I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know it was going to be a sci-fi movie by the end or anything, but like a shot like that definitely belongs in like a horror movie or a science fiction film. Uh, so it's, it, it just kind of throws you off kilter to begin with. And that's just a very kind of interesting feeling when you're watching a movie it's like oh i'm already being like thrown off balance is that opening your favorite part or do you have another part that you like more no my favorite part is uh joey reno's favorite little prostitute uh captain corelli's you know the reason he plays the mandolin i i have to say penelope cruz in this movie like i i haven't seen her in very much i just named like probably two out of five movies i think vicky (laughs) christina barcelona i understand you know why the character falls in love at first sight or first night Holy shit. with yeah. her. Also, like, also, for the record, Tom Cruise, uh, while they were filming this movie, split with Nicole Kidman, and they announced huh? that publicly, and the day before he told the crew, but also at the same time, he started developing, or he, he and Penelope Cruise started a relationship, and they dated for two years. So, like, not only does a character fall in love with her, but Tom Cruise falls in love. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like, she's adorable and charming, and I know that's, I know it's a character. Man, she's so, she's so cute. Yeah. A little bit Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a foreign Manic Pixie Dream Girl or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Just like, and before it was very much in vogue, too. And, too, what it does is, like, I don't very much like the character, the person that Tom Cruise is set up to be, you know, so I don't have so much empathy for him as a, it's just more or less like anyone who goes to that situation. I'm almost like projecting Tom Cruise onto his character or like him from other movies because I'm, I'm having trouble like relating to who he's playing in this one, but I could, you know, sort of sympathize with him after he has his accident and stuff, but I totally could see why she becomes his tether and, and that whole thing. And, and that one shot of her, when she shows up at the end at like his, his like little wake and everything. It's just like Niagara Falls, Joey. Like I just couldn't hold it in at that. Minute. And it's not even like, I love this movie or anything, but that Cameron Crowe definitely knows how to orchestrate moments that pull at heartstrings. And like, I think that's what he's best at. And so there were a few of those in this and, and they're definitely, I, I blame her. <laughs> They're all because of her. Yeah, I think that she is really kind of remarkable. Like, I think it's going back. I don't remember if it was the last Hanks episode, Mike, or if it was a different podcast that we were recording, but I was talking about Julia Roberts and I was talking about expectations of a movie and talking about my best friend's wedding. And I remember when I was watching that movie, you know, you love, you go in this movie rooting for Julia Roberts because I'm watching for Julia Roberts. She's the star. She's America's sweetheart. And then you find out that that her that her boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend is now dating Cameron Diaz and she is like so goddamn likable and charming and like a sweetheart and like perfect in every way 
you're like, how can you not love this one? And then here, it's not like her fault, but like you kind of want to root for Cameron Diaz because she's likable, she's beautiful. And then Penelope Cruz comes rolling in the movie. It's like, oh my god, like how do, how can anyone compete with that? Like yeah. it's just next level in terms of every. Like it's just. And then you know Cameron Diaz has some maybe not necessarily incorrect feelings, but she does not necessarily handle herself in the best way. Uh, goes a little overboard and you know tries to kill her, kills herself and tries to kill Tom Cruise. Like it's just yeah. things break bad the way, but like <laughs> it's not necessarily her fault that she got Cameron diaz from my best friend's wedding <laughs> in this movie. Like, it's yeah. just, what she did once now happened to her and uh, it's just, it's tough, right? That, that's life, man. Yeah, well, apparently <laughs> apparently, this is uh, Penelope Cruz's one of the roles she was born to play because she's reprising it from the original mm-hmm. is what I read. So, I mean, oh. that says something, you know, that, that goes to show, I guess. Also, I mean, there's one line that Tom Cruise says that I wrote down where he just says that smile's going to be the end of me and I'm like yep mm-hmm. that that'll <laughs> that'll do smile. it Chekhov's smile Chekhov's mole <laughs> <laughs> Oh please I'm I'm holding my I'm holding my arm over her breast please do not reveal the mole <laughs> Oh no <laughs> no I killed her We will come back to you other moments later but Alyssa you you mentioned before that there are some things about this movie that do not work for you yeah. What about this movie do you think could change what could make it even better what could make you love it even more and you guys may not agree with this, but I think um, the explanation scene, like the Willy Wonka elevator scene where everything is being <laughs> explained to him, mm-hmm. is just so... I would have liked to, for it to just, just take him up in the elevator and end it and let it have that scene where it's saying, open your eyes again and let everybody interpret it oh, I like for that. themselves. Mm. Because mm. the explanation scene, then people are like, oh, wait, like that doesn't make any sense. I don't think that's what happened. It, it's better to leave it open for interpretation because there are several ways that this movie could be interpreted and could end. And I think it's better to leave that up to the viewer than to have it kind of explained to you, even though it still leaves some confusion, answers a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would rather that scene be deleted. And also the scene when they're drawing each other, it's like, there's no way two people draw that well. (laughs) (laughs) Her caricature was way too good. And his drawing of her was, was way too good. So that bothered me a little. And also Tom Cruise lives in the Dakota building, which I thought was a little, a little strange and also very Cameron Crowe. That just bugs the shit out of me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, last episode, Mike on Hanks for the memories, the most recent Hanks episode we put out, we were talking about Sleepless in Seattle. It's kind of the ending there is like weirdly, like it's satisfying, but it's not. Like it just kind of like it's, mm-hmm. you know, I see where Alyssa's coming from, which like I kind of wish the ending was different in a way. Yeah. It's, it's a wildly different ending, but it's a, is it the right ending question mark? It's a little explainy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a major info dump and it's a complex one and it's one you feel the character might be making up for himself at that point. Like it doesn't, you know, like, I don't know. On the one end, I feel like there's way too much information and I don't, and it's like not believable. But then on the other hand, it's like, this is the answer, too. Like, I, I come out of this movie thinking that, yeah, he's been frozen for 150 years. This is tech support. His lucid dream became a nightmare. There's a glitch in his system. But now they're able to wake him up, fix his face. Like, that's the reading I get from this movie, like, conclusively. But I feel like it would be a better movie if I was left with more than one answer in my mind. You know what I'm saying? If I mm-hmm. didn't conclusively say that. I think it, I think that's where these types of narratives end best when you're still not sure, you know? And, I, and that's maybe what I didn't like is, like, I came away from this movie going, like, oh, that's 
to me, I was like, oh, there's the definite answer. Like, I, I, yeah, I guess what's, what's weird about this kind of movie is that generally the ending is open to interpretation, but here the ending is kind of definitive, and it's like the how we get to the ending that's open for interpretation, which is kind of like, do other movies do this? <laughs> I don't know. No. <laughs> Could you imagine that version of Inception? Yeah. It's like a choose your own adventure book where, like, the ending is always the same, but the way you get there is different. Like, it's a very strange thing to do. No, you're right. Mike, what, what, what about this movie did not work for you? What, what, what would you? wish that was better or changed or different or your least favorite part of Vanilla Sky? Because it became such an aggressively strong plot point toward the very end of the movie, his fear of heights really needed to be addressed way earlier in this movie. <laughs> like, that blew my mind. I, I knew he jumped off a building at the end of this, but I didn't remember it was because, the, you know, that was the final fear that he had to face in his life. The one time he brings it up, he's standing on a table. He's demonstrating he doesn't have a fear of heights <laughs> yeah. by saying... Yeah. He's like three feet off the ground. <laughs> yeah, like, I need something, I needed something more cathartic. Like, I think, I think just the realization should have done it alone like if he had just walked through the door on top of the building and and then woken up on the operating table right like the, the whole idea to me is like he just needed to to come and say goodbye to everybody and and realize like it was time to go or you know maybe if he like manifested a final moment with his dad or something because like because that was even bigger you know i feel like a bigger neurosis that was being addressed than his fear of heights like that really bugged me in a way that like it felt like the floor was sort of pulled out from under me because I was I don't love this movie but I was really I'm still with it because I'm into sci-fi and I like I love I love that whole premise like when we get to it but you don't know that this is really a sci-fi movie for the first no you're right hour 50 or hour or almost two hours no and the first time I watched it, it I feel like it retroactively made the first like half of the movie or whatever better like I was like oh everything sort of falls into place because it's science fiction now and and I have more problems everything with it the right second place. time but for me this time going around I was like man it just they just don't stick the landing here like they do a, a very competent job like setting everything up and all that kind of stuff but I really feel like it could have been uh, a much more gratifying uh, sort of visual conclusion. And I think that goes along a little with what we were saying earlier with there just being too much information here at the end altogether. Yeah. And I think maybe maybe you would like it more if, if Alyssa's suggestion of just removing that final scene like, I think it sounds like it, like yeah. it kind of works into what you're looking for. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, as much as they fool around and he wakes up like so many times in this movie and you're never sure at one point what's reality, I think they, they just go a little too far in the end trying to say, like, no, this is what's happening. I feel like it's entirely possible to just cut uh, Alyssa's version out of uh, yeah. the current one. I'd, I'd watch that. I think it'd be good. Yeah, I mean, you guys pretty much covered stuff that bothered me the most. Uh, I was a little annoyed by what I what struck me as thin characterization on uh, on Penelope Cruz's character, but then I realized that for like half of the time, she's actually literally a figment of his desires. Um, so it kind of makes sense for her to be just this doe-eyed, lovey nothing. Yeah, that and just there was some really clunky dialogue especially on the part of the psychotherapist i want to point out his psychotherapist we have not mentioned his name yet kurt russell is <laughs> what the fuck yeah. like what like playing yeah. a, a character unlike any that i think maybe he's ever i've ever seen him play before like mm-hmm. i had zero recollection that he was in this movie and like really early on there's like kurt russell voiceover i was like is he like is he god is he just gonna do voiceover and then it's like no he's just the therapist kurt russell like i think that might be to sort of piggyback off like what you were saying there a little bit, Zach, is that like aside from the Cameron Crow elements of this all and it, you know, the aesthetic not exactly matching what I want, I think what 
doesn't work for me, and maybe it's just because there's too much movie here. There's so many actors in here that I really like that we just don't get enough from. Like, I wish there was more to... I wish that Kurt Russell had more to do. I wish that Tilda Swinton had more to do. Oh, I yeah. wish that, you know... Michael oh, yeah. Shannon as the security Michael guard. Sh- yeah, Michael Shannon. Right. <laughs> Hilarious. I wish that, like... Alicia Witt, sort of this kind of knowing, you know, the, she's the receptionist at Tilda Swinton's company. Like, I love her. I like that William Maypother is in the, in the movie for, like, a quarter of a second. Like, he's just, like, talking to, I think, Penelope Cruz in the club. You know, Mike, we just talked about a Mission Impossible 2, the last episode of this show. Mm-hmm. William May, like, they sort of drop the ball there that, like, you're going to have a guy who looks like Tom Cruise because he's related to Tom Cruise, and you're going to have another actor play Cruise's double? Like, <laughs> I feel like here, where it's kind of dreamlike and weird, like, wouldn't it be weird if Tom Cruise, like, walked in on his real-life cousin who kind of looks like him, you know, living his life or something? Like, there's so many opportunities, yeah. I think, to make this even more weirder and surreal, push mm. it a little bit more, maybe. I wonder if maybe Kurt Russell's dialogue was clunky because... Tom Cruise's character isn't a psychotherapist, so he doesn't know how to write the character oh, of a psychotherapist in his mind. There's the scene where he's visiting the doctors the second time, and that time it's in his dreams, and they're describing the new process to fix his face. I don't remember exactly what was off about it, but I felt like maybe he was writing medical mumbo-jumbo, and I wonder just just how inaccurate that is once again because he's making it up in his head. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's tough. It, no, but I'm, I'm onto what you guys are saying though about this not sort of being weird enough. Like it's almost like, and that's why I think it's like maybe out of Cameron Crowe's control a little bit. Like he can't really push the sort of weird vibe, right? Like he's co- sort of a little mm-hmm. stuck like in singles meets almost famous. Like he's right between those two movies I feel, right? So like he's trying to break out a little bit but in someone else's hands, like, imagine, like, you know, Michelle Gondry doing this movie, right? Like, ah. maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's just, like, a half of it is a product of its time where, like, nowadays with all the CGI and stuff, like, we could really get warped and demented and, you know, psychedelic with this material. And I feel like movies have recently, strictly because of advances in CGI and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I definitely feel it. I, I definitely want more of it. And I think it does a good job playing without it the absence is definitely felt of the lack of visual sort of wackiness it feels like this movie is kind of trying to thread a needle or like you know toe the line between this could be reality and this is very clearly not reality Mm. and i think that by trying to do both it's interesting because it leaves that part open to interpretation it either needs to be like way weirder or way less weird i would love to see see some scenes where it's clearly not reality like we're going to go back to the doctor's office thing if the doctors had said something that was like clearly even to the audience like absolutely ludicrous and he's just like, yeah, you're going to thread the Mubagon into my Googaboo. And they'd be like, oh, no, okay. <laughs> so I think, I think I mentioned earlier that there's the director's cut, right? And like, there's one scene in the director's cut where at the end, Tom Cruise is like in the bathroom and he hears a song playing. And he's like, don't you hear that song? And Kurt Russell's like, no, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And like, he shoots a guy. Like, I feel like the end <laughs> of the director's cut though on the Blu-ray is like weirder and that there's more that just like, uh, but at, at, by that point, like, you know that like the world is kind of falling apart. Like, I think that if that kind of stuff was earlier or like kind of like MC Escher, like impossible stairs or something, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I feel, I feel like mm-hmm. it's, it's an interesting place where it is, but either again, I'm going to say it again. Like I want 
way more weird stuff or like have it all like kind of remove everything that's like well making him question reality yeah it's tough because you know they sort of set up a bit of a framing device kind of with this interrogation or it starts out you know you think he murdered someone and all this stuff but it never advances in those scenes during the present and i think like that was a missed opportunity where it's like every time we cut back to that they needed to be gaining ground and like in a new location and like on their way to the facility and like figuring shit out in the present time as we're seeing what happened you know in his memory and stuff like that and i just think like as we're cutting back and forth it's it's jarring to me in a way where it feels like we're hitting the brakes and you know maybe this goes back to more like there's an issue with kurt russell's character maybe it's intentional or not but like i do feel like there's a a lack of a flow maybe like if we didn't have those interrogation scenes and that wasn't even part of the film and he just like started going crazy in a different way instead of murder it was you know there just was no murder or there was and he was still on the run i don't know how to do it in a way there's either too much or too little going on here two hours and 15 minutes is kind of like a weird length for a movie because like it could be either half an hour shorter or like 45 minutes longer you know what i mean like i feel like that's kind of the in between and i mean any story can be any length but i feel like it just feels like a kind of an odd in between thing and it's not, like, bad. Like, I, I don't like this movie a lot. Like, I don't, in, especially in comparison to everything else he's done. But I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's poorly made. And I don't think it's a movie that I hate. It just, it's just kind of this weird limbo-ish kind of thing, which I guess works narratively, <laughs> but I don't think it's intentionally limbo-ish. We reviewers are left in the same limbo that Tom Cruise is. <laughs> are we alive? Are we dead? Are we awake? Or are we still dreaming? Open your eyes. <laughs> Alyssa, what else about this movie do you want to talk about? What else about this do you, uh, you know, are there, are there any scenes or characters or moments that you either love or really don't love that we've not talked about that you want to cover? Well, I do want to touch on Kurt Russell's okay. character. Mm-hmm. I do feel like we could have we could have used like another half hour of interrogation scenes. I feel like that would have cleared up a lot about if the murder even really happened. I feel like that, that all of that could have been explained more. And I think they say it in the explanation scene that he's kind of like this father figure. But I feel like the issues with his father weren't explained that much. Just the fact that his dad kind of had this business handed it down to him Mm -hmm. and didn't write much about him in his autobiography um i feel like there could have been maybe flashbacks about that too because that's a a whole part a big part of who he is and why he is the way he is i i feel there's also a lot of beetle references i don't know if anybody read imdb i don't know if it was imdb or um, it might have been another article but they talk about seeing the number nine everywhere and cameron crowe referencing a lot of beetle things and number number nine and number nine dream and Mm -hmm. all this stuff and i guess that all kind of plays into it and also the nostalgia of it i know he's a big beatles fan like that's why i like to watch this movie so many times because you can go back and see all these little references like and someone noted that there's a picture of katie holmes in times square no way oh wow yeah yeah who Tom Cruise later married. There's a lot more to this movie. It could have easily become like a cult kind of classic film where people could watch it a hundred times and pick out different things. But I just think it wasn't there. And had it been made today, and it could have gotten a lot weirder. I think it would have been received a lot better today than it would have back then. I think they kind of played it a little safe back then because they wanted, you know, it's Tom Cruise and 
Cameron Crowe, and they probably wanted it to be received better. I'm actually kind of shocked that Tom Cruise is in this movie. Like, this feels like a real passion project that he sort of helped Cameron Crowe materialize or something, or like, you know, make happen or help his buddy out or some way, because this is just, this is not what, you know, you do after Mission Impossible 2 necessarily. Like, this doesn't seem like his crowd. Like, I feel like if you're a huge no. fan of Tom Cruise and you go see this movie, it's like, what the fuck? Like, he looks like Two-Face half the time, and like, <laughs> I'm really sort of repulsed a little bit here like what has happened to Tom Cruise like why would he do this like God, for someone like me I'm like wow I really like him going for it like I like him hiding behind the prosthetics and the makeup and all that and it, and it's showing that he's still on that kind of trajectory when he's not doing the action stuff like he's working with these great directors and trying to do more artistic work and think whether it fails or works that's you know up for interpretation but like I definitely love that he's here trying to do it I'm just not necessarily sure if this is like a movie he fits into or, or something yet like you know I, I think down the line the audience will accept him to do anything but this might just have been like a little too early for his persona to handle necessarily I think yeah, that might have scared yeah. some people away and caused some of the bad reviews because it's because it's a very cool story like I really like the pieces and stuff it just the when the puzzle when I look at the puzzle and I step back and see it assemble I'm just kind of like scratch my head yeah. yeah I feel like it just wasn't wasn't the right time for a lot of reasons like if it came out now with tom cruise and it, people would be like oh my god look what tom cruise is doing in this yeah. wild movie and back then it would just i feel like it just didn't work time-wise like ha- if they remake it like 10 years from now i think it could really work if it was a lot weirder and throw another tom cruise like actor into it who kind of wants to break free from their stereotypical roles that they might be playing i you know i think that's one of the reasons why i love it so much is because it is so misunderstood and i'm not a big tom cruise fan but i love him in this because I feel like it's a really brave choice. What's a little weird about the timing here is that he did back-to-back Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia, and then he does Mission Impossible 2, and it's like, oh, he's back to the you know the cruise that he was, and then all of a sudden he just comes with this. It's like, wait, what? I thought we were, we were back on the, on the action <laughs> yeah. score of things. But I'm looking now, like, you know, he kind of goes back and forth a little bit between action, but also interesting sort of contemplative sci-fi, because we've got Minority Report, which has sort of tinges of both. The Last Samurai is not a traditional... Tom Cruise movie, I don't think. No. Collateral no. is sort oh, of a darker, yeah. but that's still Michael Mann. That's a very closer, small movie. but again, kind of more interesting. Yeah, and he plays the villain there. I think that's the one movie that maybe switches it because he plays the villain and he's great and he's like full on bad guy. And then he's got War of the Worlds, which is huge. Mission Impossible Three, which is huge. Then Lions for Lambs, which is not in the same thing, but makes sense kind of. Then he's got Tropic Thunder in the small part. Valkyrie, which is, again, I guess sort of maybe Lions for Lambsy kind of in that way. Then Night and Day, Cameron Diaz Returns. And then Mission Impossible, Rock of Ages, Jack Reacher. And then sort of, I think, you know, where he's gone recently, which is kind of tentpole action stuff. I would argue it's extremely likely that he very purposely chose out varying roles to keep him seeming castable in just about anything. He probably yeah. had his agent be like, put me up for Magnolia. I just shot Mission Impossible 2, whatever, other way around. I'm, I'm sure he just wanted to make sure he was a versatile actor, or seen as a versatile actor. I do feel like, though, at this point, because this is now the 23rd movie that he's done, I feel like, especially having watched all these, you know, over the last almost a year, nine months or whatever, like, he can kind of do anything. Like, I don't know yeah. that people are it really works. questioning. I feel like this is kind of just almost him challenging himself. Like, can I do sure. this? You know, when we play, and we're, we're going to do it here again, can Tom Hanks be in this? Like, I feel like Tom Hanks is a great actor, 
But up until where we are in his career, you know, up until, say, 91, 92, like before a couple of movies ago, he kind of only had, like, two speeds. Tom Cruise, meanwhile, like, had kind of consistently done, like, one or two things, but felt like but anything he, he wanted to do, he could knock out of the park. Zach, what about, anything else about this movie that you want to mention that you want to talk about that you either really liked or really didn't like or were confused by or just want to have a chat about? I mean, I wasn't of age in 2001. Did everyone just drink straight spirits and Coke? Was that, like, everyone's drink? All, all <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I went I went from rum and Cokes to gin and tonics when I got my ID. So, like, and I turned 21 in 2001. So, <laughs> yeah. there's your Yeah, answer. these guys are drinking like they're in college and don't have... Uh, their IDs yet. He's playing like a 34-year-old, I think, or something? Thir- yeah, yeah. I was going to say, maybe that's part of the, the Cameron Cruz nostalgia. Not Cameron Cruz, Cameron Crowe nostalgia. He's so rich, you'd think he'd have a higher a higher cocktail <laughs> knowledge. Then again, yeah. maybe the, yeah. the, the spoke, bespoke cocktail thing didn't really happen until 2010, 2008. And then the other th- was the scene where he's having sex with Sophia, and then it turns into Cameron Diaz, and he keeps thrusting, but he looks super confused. But he keeps <laughs> thrusting. That kind of was confusing and funny to me, but also horrifying. <laughs> this woman who pretty much killed him is now underneath him, and he, he's like, yeah, but I'm not gonna not nut. <laughs> yeah, I was getting, a, I was getting kind of like a real Midsommar vibe there at the end of yeah. that movie. Movie. <laughs> it's just like I'm in the middle of it. It's getting weirder and weirder, but I just can't stop. Yeah, Mike. Any other thoughts about uh, Vanilla Sky before we play a couple games? I still like this movie. Um, I think there's room for improvement. I'd like to see another version of it. I'd like to go back and watch the original. Maybe I'll like that more. Maybe you know. I don't know. Um, I, I really like. Tom Cruise's mask acting, I guess. I don't know what else to really call it, but like... Masking. Mask mask work. Yeah, because when he's not wearing, you know, the Michael Myers thing, he's got like that really mangled uh, face on. And that's ammo, you know, like that's acting ammunition, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like he uses it and there's something to that right like go like being known as such like a good looking handsome dude and then taking it down to that level where you just like we don't really see any of that again until tropic thunder really where and again when he (laughs) puts that makeup on like he just fucking owns it so i guess i'd like to see you know more prosthetics on tom cruise in the future sure why not I'm on board. So a couple of little bits of, tri- bits of trivia about this movie very quickly. Cameron Crowe says there's 428 pop culture references in this movie, which feels like entirely too many. But uh, pop up maybe video. Not. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just date myself? <laughs> so Cameron Diaz's role of Julie Gianni, Kate Hudson, back I would have been, I guess, from Almost Famous the year before, turned down the role of Julie Gianni, and Maggie Gyllenhaal auditioned. But it went to Cameron Diaz. Jared Leto, a very twisted choice, Ooh, auditioned damaged. for the role, uh, or was considered, or auditioned for the role of Jason Lee. And then for the role of Dr. Curtis McCabe, the Kurt Russell role, consider under consideration were Michael Keaton, Harrison Ford, and Alec Baldwin. Again, kind of like a elder statesman actor sort of role, I guess. But again, just a, it's a weird thing for Kurt Russell, I think, but... You know, I guess Mr. Nobody's got to start somewhere. No, he had been... What are you talking about? He'd been I know, old. I know. <laughs> I'm not a lunatic. <laughs> so we're going to play a quick game here called The Other Tom. Imagine for a second, and Alyssa, I want you to play this first. If okay. Tom Hanks, your boy Tom Hanks, at your engagement party, we all watched Joe versus the Volcano. We've told that. We talked we about did. that story on this podcast. If Tom Hanks were cast in the movie Vanilla Sky, could he play this Tom Cruise role? Or if not, what role could he play? 
I think I think he could play the Tom Cruise role. I don't think he would be as believable. Tom Cruise is a very good-looking guy. And Tom Hanks is good-looking too, but the character of David Ames is much better suited to uh, Tom Cruise. I could see him as as the friend, though, yeah. as Brian. Maybe some different fashion choices or hair choices, but I could see him as the friend. I could also see him, like, I think the Jason Lee role is where I was going, too. I could also see him, maybe he's a little bit too young, but as the Kurt Russell role, I think he could play that, mm-hmm. especially yeah. older Hanks. Mike, what about you? Do you think he could play the Tom Cruise role, hmm. David Ames, or do you think he wouldn't really work in this movie? I think he could play it. I think it'd be a much darker movie. I think there would be something about his vanity that would come from somewhere else, maybe, you know, because like vanity, said, my favorite sin. Because, <laughs> like, yes, like he's not as like handsome or conventionally good looking. Like they're in a different, they're in different categories as far as looks and stuff, perhaps. But I could still see him being that sort of arrogant, cocky, but still lovable mogul type right like a branson type or someone like that or who's that guy who owns like the sports teams who's always on tv i always the the young guy mark cuban yeah yeah like a mark cuban vibe or something like i almost get that kind of vibe from this character i think i think tom hanks could do it but i think it'd be a very different movie i think it would and again like i said i think it'd be much darker there's something about cruz's charm in this that keeps it light i don't know even though i'm not a fan of the character i like tom cruise and like him he shines through more i think hanks would get lost in the role and it would go someplace else but i could see it'd be widely different tone though i think zach what about you do you think that tom hanks could play the david ames role or if not where would he uh, where would he fall where would he fit i wouldn't see him in the ames role no if i had to put him anywhere probably in the uh tech support noah taylor role Ooh, okay I was calling him uh, British Bob Costas. <laughs> That's good. And in a less conventional sense, uh, a young Tom Hanks, I think, in a gender-swapped uh, version of this, would be a great Sophia. Oh, <laughs> interesting. He is very adorable. Isn't he? Manic yeah, pixie very. dream actor. <laughs> now, a, a very, uh, sort of an equally important question. We found someone on Twitter, Harperfect or Harperfect, uh, who said that you could replace Tom Cruise's character name in any movie with the name Lightning McQueen and not a thing would change. <laughs> Do you think if Vanilla Sky starred Tom Cruise as Lightning McQueen, I think that sounds like the name of an eccentric publisher to me. Absolutely. Sounds like his magazine. Because, I mean, he, he's like a scion. He's like a scion, so I don't I don't see... He's kind of old money. I wouldn't see his dad calling it, naming him that, but I could definitely see him being like, yeah. fuck you, dad, I go by Lightning. Lightning. Yeah, it's like, like his last has, name. Do you have any nicknames? Or when Penelope Cruz, do you have any nicknames? You can say Lightning McQueen. <laughs> they call me Citizen Dildo or Lightning McQueen, either one. I'll see you in the next life when we're both cars. It's <laughs> it's so weird that Cameron Crowe uses Citizen Dildo because in singles, the band was called Citizen Dick. He's got like a real thing for that phrase, I guess. An important question. I assume the answer is yes. Does Tom Cruise run in this movie? Oh, he does. hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, when? Yeah. Where? Right in the beginning. In the beginning when he gets out of his okay. car. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Okay. And he, he yeah. chases after Sophia in Dumbo. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. But are, are there any that are, I mean, we'll get to the awards next, but are there any that are like sort of in, in the in the pantheon that I'm, I'm thinking about in terms of like his greatest running scenes? Oh. Or is he just... Oh, God, I think no. the opening one. I, well, I think the opening yeah. one, because it's right at the beginning of the movie, like he gets out of the car, he like screams... Or he starts running and then he screams. I don't know, but like he starts running right at the beginning of the movie. So I feel like okay. opening but the, the Tom Cruise pantheon. <laughs> the guy know. runs like a goddamn champ. Come on, he's got better than this. <laughs> I mean, it's no Mission Impossible three. I think that's the there you are. First time I was like, holy dear lord. But... <laughs> 
I don't know. We'll get there before too long. But all right, okay, okay, good to know, good to know. I just realized that both main characters' last name is Cruz. I that that's cool. Oh yeah, no, and there's Cameron Diaz and Cameron Crow, and Cameron Diaz had apparently go by CD on set to not confuse her with Cameron Crow. I don't know, man. It's weird to have two Camerons and two Cruises, and and she made a CD. She made a CD. Yeah, that was a weird line. She's like, if I made a CD, would you this? Wouldn't they say, like, if I recorded an album or, like, something like that? I made a CD. Well, CDs are very early 2000s, maybe. Yeah. She she ripped it for him. Yeah. Is that a a meta thing? Because from what I understand, she was trying to be a singer at one point, and she was parodied by Anna Faris in Lost in Translation. Like, that's supposed to be, like, a a dig at her or something like that. The song that they play in the movie, she really sang. Yes, and it's on the like, soundtrack, yeah, too. And she's credited yeah. as uh, Juliana Julia or whatever. That thought came into my head. I remember hearing that about Lost in Translation that Sofia Coppola was sort of like mm, calling attention to her talent yeah. as a singer, I'll just say. All right, let us go to the uh, the awards. We still don't really have a name for it. We'll get to it. I think we'll, we'll figure it out as we go on. But the Tom Cruise Awards, the best and the worst cruise club of the movies that he has acted in. Best or worst film, I think this is, again, sort of down the middle. Like, it's toward the bottom of my list of movies just because I want it to be... Like, it's kind of the same thing, wildly different thing, but I was talking with my other main podcasting partner, Joe, too, about Joker, and I didn't like Joker, but I feel like like there's there's such... There's, like, Joaquin and Joker is so great. Hey! <laughs> and like he, it, it, like it makes me like that movie less because it could have been great. And I feel like here, like I like it less. It's not bad. Like I don't like the, I don't dislike this the way that I don't like Joker. But like, I feel like this could have been so great in terms of like what I wanted that I'm sort of judging it kind of harshly. But I don't think it's bad. Do you any, anybody vouch for or you know want to go to bat for best or worst film? Because I think it's kind of down the middle ish. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. From my list, I sort of have it as like just the baseline almost you know if i were to say i'd say middle you know if you say yeah, it, I, yeah. if because we i wanted it to be great and it wasn't as great it's kind of once again like an inverse the yards which i had such low expectations for and turned out to be pretty damn good if that there's a curve there's always a curve i'm gonna add vanilla sky to the best director filmmaker nominee for cameron crows now for uh cameron crow for jerry Maguire and vanilla sky now best cruise role do we want to say david ames's best cruise role yes or no yeah like i don't i'm not gonna say yes but i do want to just asterisk i i like i said before i like that Cruz took the challenge of playing someone so like I guess disfigured you know like that there was like an acting challenge to the role but there's something missing for me from the actual character that he was playing like I just couldn't couldn't really get behind him 100% so most badass role no I'm gonna say no most daring role to take this is a one that we uh Mm. we brought up with Tobin yes or no do you think that David Ames in this is is it a daring role? Is it on the level of Frank T.J. Mackey or Ron Kovic? I mean, maybe, yeah. I don't know, but like, not on that level, maybe, but I think so, I yeah. think the fact that what you were saying earlier, Mike, about him being disfigured, right? Like, you're yeah. taking the beautiful movie star, good looks, charming, handsome man, scarring him for half the movie, or putting him behind a mask. Like, mm-hmm. why cast Tom Cruise and have him behind yeah. a mask? Exactly. So his face is his bread and butter, you know, when it comes down to it, and he's removing that from the whole equation, so... Yeah, it's almost like he knew he wasn't going to make any money. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the fact that it's Tom Cruise is absolutely important to that character yeah. because, like, literally his friends abandon him the second he's not hot. There's that shot that Brian says uh, the new guy is shit, but, like, you don't even see them interact at all before he says that. 
has, they, they don't really yeah. do any he hasn't done anything to make him feel like the new version of him is any different than the old version everyone around him is super shallow and he like loses everything because he's not hot so I'd say that yeah the fact that he's Tom Cruise and super hot is absolutely germane to the role best fight is there a fight in this movie that he has a like a fist fight or anything I don't no. think so no he just kills somebody but that's it yeah. just, just him his, him smothering Cameron Diaz or Penelope <laughs> with a pillow that's or about both. it it's like oh. Schrodinger's girlfriend Ooh. Oh. I'm not even going to ask about this one I'm just, I'm just going to nominate this one best theme song soundtrack score yes, yes. Uh, best car chase or race I don't think there's nah. really uh, no right no. there's the no, there's an scene. almost accident and an accident car driving fast on its own down the empty New York streets it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not quite a chase best dance scene I don't think he does he oh, dance he does that dance oh, he at does the some club good moves yeah oh yeah. So we have drunken wheelchair dancing in Born the Fourth of July. So now I'll just say a uh, drunken maskin dancing. Yeah, I like and his this legs kind of fucked up. Yeah, yeah. And there's also his drunken uh, mask dancing when he's being interrogated, like randomly out of nowhere. He just kind of like busts a move. <laughs> Love it. Does anybody? Does anybody remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think Sam Rockwell was attached at one point. <laughs> just so there was random dancing involved. Best cruise outfit wardrobe. I'm going to say no. I mean that hat almost ruined this entire movie. I mean what <laughs> hat? Was yeah. That was insane. Sunglasses, no. So here, Mike, this is, we've not mentioned this yet. I was saving this. We have yet again another non-death death. Holy shit. This is like a big thing for him. What we've learned is that Tom Cruise has died in a handful of movies, but he doesn't actually die. No, 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 no. He actually dies, but he actually comes back to life. And so well, it's that, it's that um, but it's also like yeah. he gets killed, quote unquote, killed twice in Interview the Vampire, does not actually die. He gets yeah, killed and comes back to life in Far and Away. Spoilers. He has somebody in a Tom Cruise mask get shot and killed in Mission Impossible 2. So Tom Cruise dies, but then they take the mask off. So so jumping off a building, mm-hmm. or taking a leap of faith, I'm going to say. Taking a leap or, of faith. Or not, not only that, but like he commits suicide in this movie, right? And they wipe it from his mind. Yeah. yeah. And so, oh, like, two, yeah. we got two mics. I love it. <laughs> And then, you know, we talked, you know, Zach, you mentioned before, one of your favorite Tom Cruise movies, you know, Edge of Tomorrow is a movie where he literally gets killed oh. over and over again. <laughs> yeah. It's the premise of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Best line, I, boy, I, oh. the, the last line of the movie, okay. the, his last line of the movie, uh, which is something that Penelope Cruz says, but I'll see you in another life when we are both cats. That line... One of my favorites. That line deserves to be on the list, but the one that made me tear up, he has... There's such a great line in this. What does he say when he's like, the little things mean the biggest or something? There's some... Oh my God, that line just like hit me like a... The sour... The, you need the sour Sacred for the sweet. Yeah, the sour isn't. Yeah, that's Brian though. I think a lot of those are song lyrics too, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But like Cameron Crowe, like used a lot of song lyrics as dialogue in this movie. Yeah, so. and he's also saying Cameron Crowe was describing that line or talking about that line. I was saying that the the Radiohead song in the beginning is the sour, and then the REM song is the sweet. Because I think the REM song is sweet release or something, right? And so it's it's yeah. a little sweet. Are you talking? And yesterday I woke REM? up sucking a lemon is the lyrics from Kiday. So yes, yeah, yeah. that would be yeah. the sour. Oh, also. Do you want to say that there is another Radiohead song and the bar, when the bar goes quiet, they're listening in the background. Yep. There's I Might Be Wrong by Radiohead. Uh, Cruz even says at one point, I love Radiohead, right? He said, yeah, yeah, because when he almost gets in the car accident in the beginning, he's like, hey, what do you want to listen to, Radiohead? And like, he's like reaching around the back seat or whatever. So a couple of their quotes, these are not, I'm, I'm not going to nominate these. These are just uh, other quotes that I really liked from other characters. 
Penelope Cruz to ca- about Cameron Diaz. I think she's the saddest girl to ever hold a martini, hmm. uh, mm-hmm. which is a very specific said by many compliment char- or something. He says it to her. Yeah, he's like repeating back their conversation. Yeah. Cameron Diaz says, "You fucked me four times the other night. I swallowed your cum. That means something." I'm like, "Oh boy, okay." <laughs> and then at the end, Kurt Russell just losing his mind. Like if we had the Kurt, you know, the best freakout, which is the next category. Uh, where he's like, mortality is home entertainment. This cannot be the future, can it? Can it? And it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, even like not real characters are losing their goddamn minds at the end of this movie. So wait, back to the the four the four times thing. Do you have yes. like a running tally of people explicitly describing how good Tom Cruise is at sex? Because I feel like that's no, gonna come. All right, Mike, we gotta enough. restart Cruise Club. We gotta. We gotta go through <laughs> because... That that I'm not making that up, right? That happens a lot to him. No, right? what's crazy, Zach, is like we we kind of added this category to Cage Club, where it's like attractive women find him irresistible, and like after <laughs> yeah. six movies, a woman literally says like you're irresistible to me. Why do I <laughs> like, find you irresistible? And like our thesis was proved within like a year. <laughs> it's crazy. They felt the need to say it specifically. Best freakout is there? Is there a line? Is there a thing that oh. that Tom Cruise loses? mind over in this movie i feel like half the movie he's freaking out right and doesn't he even yeah. say like oh, i'm freaking out <laughs> yeah i think my favorite freak out of his has been they were explaining the mask and he's just like oh so i understand it's also a fucking mask like that <laughs> yeah i yeah. love that oh part. yeah it works on halloween but the other 364 so days of the like, year yeah what am i supposed to do yeah he has a lot of good just like one line scream things and I think Cameron Diaz is like even her in the car is kind of a freak out. Do you believe in God? And you know, I've, that's kind of a freak out in a way. Yeah, she gets real scary real fast. Yeah, like in yeah. a way that I wasn't expecting. The way they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. she's she seems pretty stable, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh. Doctor Pomeran says uh, it's a helpful unit. He says good because for a minute there I thought we were talking about brackets shouts a fucking mask and then dr pomeran says it's only a mask if you treat it that way he says oh no it's great that completely takes care of halloween but what about the other 364 days of the year he looks a little like watchmen to me too like now that watchmen's like on hbo i was like wow it looks almost like just one of those bland no nonsense superhero costumes it's just like as basic as you need man man (laughs) what is this a crossover episode is there a sex scene in here that we want to nominate for Best sex scene. I'd say, yeah. yeah. There's the freckle one, right? Yeah, yeah that, that was one was sexy. kind of... I'll just say analyzing the mole. <laughs> analyzing Penelope Cruz's Analyze mole. That. Is there anything that Tom Cruise does in this movie, most athletic feat, something he does of exceptional athletic prowess? No. No. Yeah, I don't think so, right? Mm-mm. No. He stops falling midair. <laughs> I was going to say he survives, like, cryostasis like (laughs) that's one reading of it i mean i don't know how hard that is to do but it seems pretty uh pretty hard i'm gonna say the dog did do it yeah oh boy the frozen dog on conan oh yeah benny the dog shout out oh i you know we didn't play our uh stan lee yourself but i would definitely be on conan i would be that dog's trainer for sure because i like being on game shows like being on wheel of fortune and jeopardy this would be my opportunity to go on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Best running scene, I'm going to say, Mike, your idea for starting the movie running in Vanilla Sky. Best love story, you want to say Penelope Cruz, Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz? Hell yeah. Sure. Yeah. Do we want to nominate this? I feel like it's no just because there's not enough characters here for best ensemble cast. Like, I feel like what's here is good. Hmm. It's a lot of Tom Cruise, right? Like, it's just yeah. right. it's there's really There's a lot of good him. people, but not enough from them. Yes. No Tropic Thunder, yeah. man. <laughs> no, no Tropic Thunder. Yeah, I almost feel there isn't a big enough 
sort of stable to cast enough. You know, there aren't that many roles. And then the final category, best non-Cruz actor, male or female. I'm going to say Penelope Cruz as Sophia. Yeah. Anybody else in this yeah. movie of, of note worth nominating? Well, that was pretty good, but yeah, Penelope. One of my favorite moments in the whole movie, though, is a Jason Lee moment. And I feel like it's because he's like a really good actor in general. I just don't know like a lot of his work outside of Kevin Smith movies. But at the in the very end, it's sort of he's on the rooftop with them and he's out of focus and Kurt Russell touches his arm. Did you guys catch that? And Jason Lee just kind of yeah. like, he's smiling. Oh, yeah. and he just kind of like looks yeah. at him like, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> and he just looks yeah. away. I was like, it's so subtle, but like everybody in this is really good. Yeah, yeah. they're not in it enough. So we have 12 nominees, which is a lot for a movie that I think Ooh. only one of us really, truly liked. But Best Director <laughs> Filmmaker, we've got that tacked on for Cameron Crowe. Most Daring Role to Take, Best Theme Song, Soundtrack, Score. Best Dance Scene, Best Death, two of them. Best Line, Best Freak Out, Best Sex Scene, Best Running Scene, Best Love Story, and Best Non-Cruise Actor Female for Penelope Cruz. What what a movie. What an honor. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us for uh, being your first trip through the Cage Club Podcast Network doors. It was lovely having you here. It was nice being here. I'm glad I could talk about this movie with other people who've actually watched it. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anywhere on the internet, if people want to find you, do you want to be found anywhere online? I mean, I don't want to be found, but if if they want to find me, they can find me. I don't have anything, you know, to promote or anything movie specific or anything like that. Just check hashtag Larson Flicks on Instagram and sort of see what you're watching. Even though you're not posting it, you're in the room, I would assume. So Yeah, you can see what what my husband is (laughs) making me watch, yes. (laughs) And Zach, thank you for being here. Is there is there a place that you want, because you are a uh, wonderful photographer, is there anywhere that people, if they want to find you or your work, where you want to uh, you plug plug yourself? Sure. Check out my Instagram, Zach Dezon, at Zach Dezon, Z-A-C-K-D-E-Z-O-N. Very cool. Well, thank you both. And Zach, you will be back for many more episodes in the very near future. And Alyssa, we hope to find a time or a place or something where you can come once again, talk about a movie that you love, and maybe, I don't know that I like this movie more than I did an hour ago, but I I kind of, like, I understand it. I'm glad that we had the ability to talk it out at least, right? Because I know I get what's going on a little bit more, and I appreciate that, so thank you. No problem. So next episode, Mike, next episode of Cruise Club, we have Minority Report, which is very exciting, with a couple maybe first-time guests? I don't remember. Hang on. Hmm. Let me see if this is right or not. A quick note. So there was the little Spielberg cameo in this. There's going to be yep. a, a very little Cameron Crowe cameo in the next movie, in very Minority cool. Report. Well, next movie in Minority Report, Mike, we're going to have two brand-new guests of the Tom Tom Club. One who has been on... Uh, they've both been on podcasts of ours before. This is the first time they're in either Tom Tom. But in between now and then, we are going to be joined by Brian Late Night Rodriguez talking about 1993's Philadelphia, uh, which I'm sure will not be a downer of a movie at all. I am totally sure (laughs) that is going to be uplifting and cheerful and exactly what I need. Oh, boy. For all things Cruise Club and Tom Tom Club and Hanks for the Memories, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, run at cageclub.me. Uh, come back next week over on our Hanks for the Memories feed for Philadelphia. Check out last week's episode of Sleepless in Seattle. And then come back here in two weeks for Minority Report. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Zach Dazan and Alyssa Larson. And we will see you next time right here on Cruise Club. <laughs>